Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this fine, beautiful day? Good? How many have been watching March Madness this weekend? Anybody? Few of you? How many people's brackets are busted already? I knew mine was going to be bad when the first two games that they played on TV, both of my teams lost. So... That was, uh, that was not good. Uh, again, welcome all of you online as well. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm the pastor here, and uh, so glad all of you are joining us today. Um, so I want to I tell you about a love affair. And uh, this, I think, was my first love. And by the way, it just so happened that this was March Madness weekend. I did not plan it this way. <laughs> I remember... When my love affair started, I, I had to be probably kindergarten age or so. I don't remember exactly when. And the church uh, that we went to at the time uh, had two things in the parking lot that I remember. It had a house where uh, one of the like assistants or youth pastor would live or whatever. Uh, and it had a basketball hoop. And I remember one day when I was a little kid, uh, we were playing in the church parking lot, and the guy who was the assistant at the time, I'm actually not even really sure uh, what he did, his name was Tom as well, Um, he came out and he played basketball uh, with me, I don't remember if anybody else was there, Um, but I remember this was the time, that was the first memory I have of playing basketball. And it was not long after that um, that I remember coming home and there was my very first basketball hoop in the backyard. And there is where it all started. Um, I began to study the game of basketball. I remember going to the library and checking out books that would be like biographies or autobiographies of basketball players. People like, oh, I don't even know, like Pete Maravich. Maybe some of you know that name. They called him Pistol Pete, right? I think he was probably the greatest basketball player uh, that no one knows about. This dude averaged 45 points in college, 45 points a game, and there wasn't even a three-point line, all right? I remember reading his story, and he said his dad used to make him uh, hang out the side of the basketball, uh, side of the um, car. He would drive, and Pistol Pete had to dribble while he was driving. That's how crazy he was. I remember reading all the stories of all the, whatever, Magic Johnson, all of it. But then I kind of came infatuated with another person. I have a picture of him on the screen. This was my other love affair. This handsome guy right here. Larry Bird. The best ever, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get me excited all of a sudden here, man. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, 
And so I remember becoming just a huge Celtics fan. And we had a little like 12 inch black and white TV uh, at the time. And I would take that out. And every time they were on, you know, one of the channels we can get, you know, where you take the antennas and you put the foil on them and you dial the channel in right, I'd be watching basketball. It was my love. In fact, my mom could attest to this. Uh, You know, sometimes I could be a stubborn kid, maybe get in some trouble a little bit. Um, And so they finally figured out one day that the best punishment for me was to take away the sports page. I would wake up first thing in the morning. I would go and I'd read the newspaper and I could tell you all the ridiculous stats of like literally every athlete. I'm not even, I don't think I'm exaggerating much. I just studied that stuff. They decided to take that away from me. That was the worst. That was the worst. Just spank me and get it over with. (laughs) My goodness. Um... So I remember, I'll tell you how crazy I was. Um, I, I, in, in, some of you have heard this story, but uh, I went on a senior class trip to New York City. And uh, that evening, as we were crossing the street, and I will not go into the details, I got hit by a car. The car was going about 40 miles an hour. I do not obviously remember any of this happening. Again, story for another time. But I do remember waking up in the middle of a cold street in New York City, and the EMTs were all around. I remember people crying and all this kind of stuff. And I, I honest to God, remember asking this question, am I going to be able to play basketball? Basketball starts next week. I need to be able to be there. Kid you not. Kid you not. So I decided I wanted to uh, devote my life to this game and become an NBA player. And then I came to my senses and realized that was never going to happen, not in a million years. And so uh, I went to college and I had to decide what I was going to do with my life. Uh, because basketball was out of the question. So I figured, hey, I knew I wanted to do two things. I liked two things. I loved sports, and I, and I wanted to make a difference with people. And so I decided that I would major in physical education. And at the time, you go to school, and you actually register for your classes when you get there. I don't know if that's how you, they still do it. But for me, I had to go online, you go around, you register for all your classes. Uh, and uh, I think physical education lasted about one day. I decided, no, this is not what I want to do. I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Doesn't doesn't seem right. So instead, um, I decided to uh, major in guidance and counseling. And so that's what I did. And, and to this day, I do, I do not regret uh, that choice. Um, and so basically, I had four years of psychology. Uh, I minored in Bible. And so I had uh, kind of this, this background of, of, of counseling and psychology and Bible. And I wanted to smash them all together. And what I decided I wanted to do now was start a Christian school. That was kind of like my dream. Um, and so I graduate, I actually got uh, an offer for probably one of my dream jobs. They said, why don't you come, uh, this was this uh, place in Pennsylvania, they said, you come be a basketball coach and a Bible teacher for our Christian school. And so I went out there and um, there was no chance that I was ever going to move out to the middle of Pennsylvania um, there was literally nothing around. I'm talking like farm, farm time. I'm a city boy. I could not do that. So I came back and um, I started working um, for a vending company. They called me Dollar Bill Man. I was the Dollar Bill Man. 
Now, if you don't know what that is, I, I don't expect you to. What that meant for me was I had a job of going to the schools in Waterbury, and I was the guy who stood with 100 singles in my hand while 2,000 kids, high schoolers, would come into their lunch uh, break, and I would make change, and they would all, this was in the times that you could have like, um, you know, all the gross and bad snacks for you, vending machines in the lobby and in the, in the calf. So that was my job. I made change. They would come to me. It was like this crazy mass of people. I loved that job. It was one of my favorite jobs ever still to this day. Dollar bill man. Obviously, it wasn't what I planned on doing. I did uh, like it. But, you know, I don't know how far I could have gone with the vending company. And I, and I got a call one day uh, from uh, the church uh, that I was going to in Waterbury. And they said, hey, we're interested in hiring you as a part-time youth pastor. And I'm thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, the answer's pretty clear. Not a chance. <laughs> There's no way. I'm going to be in, you know, a pastor. I'm not going to, you know, church world and, and doing that. But again, here's, here's my thought process. The more I thought about it, I'm like, well, you know, listen, I'm getting married soon. Um, vending isn't going to take me anywhere. It's kids. It has to do with teenagers. I love that idea. Maybe I can play basketball with teenagers. Uh, and so I decided, yeah, you know what? I'll do that. I'll do that. And that part-time job turned into a full-time job. A couple years into it, uh, realized that this was not the fit uh, for me, not the fit for the church. And so I kind of took a break, about six months, I, I, if I remember right. Um, and it was that time of like, what in the world am I going to do? Basically, what I did is I went back to being dollar bill man and being a Foot Locker employee, which was my job in high school. So here I am now in my, you know, early to mid-20s. Go, I'm working at Foot Locker and as Dollar Bill Man, um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I got a call again. I decided I was going to, um, you know, maybe look more closely into this church youth pastor thing. And so I had my resumes out, you know, like literally places like New York City. I remember like San Diego. I'm, tr I'm thinking, you know, Metropolis, right? And then I got a call one day and they're like, hey, hey, uh, my name is Dick. And I um, heard that you're a youth pastor looking for a job. And I'm like, yes. He goes, well, hey, listen, I'm with this church called East Hampton Bible Church. It's in East Hampton, Connecticut. And I'm like, what, what is that? Never heard of it. Didn't know what it was. He's like, yeah, somebody told me that you were looking for a job and we wanted to interview you. Okay. And so we did. And I guess, as you can say, uh, uh, the rest is history. I became the youth pastor at uh, this church. Uh, a few years later, um, I uh, became the executive uh, pastor at this church. And so um, if you had asked me, you know, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? I would have said, absolutely. I have clarity. I know exactly how God has wired me. I know what I'm supposed to be about and I would have had that answer for you two years ago to this day. The same thing. I'm locked in. I know exactly how God has wired me. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And then like things happen like pandemics and stuff. 
And here I find myself in a very different place even than I was two years ago. Probably in a place that I would have said no to two years ago. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. There's no way God is going to change his mind now. I am not a preacher man. Until I was. And here's the verse I want to share with you today. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And so I decided to uh, uh, title today's message, It Was Clear Until It Wasn't. That's what we're talking about today as we pick up this series called The Journey And I want to talk to you a little bit about my journey, but more importantly, I want to look at someone else's journey in Scripture today, keeping this context in mind, and it's this guy by the name of David. Have you ever heard of the guy by the name of David in the Bible? Raise your hand if you've heard of him. We just want to make sure everything's working. Okay, good. So David um, is uh, best known as the first great king of Israel. Um, of the uh, and so and so, uh, uh, he also is interesting because I believe it's true that he is the person most mentioned in the Bible outside of this guy we know as Jesus. Um, so really key character in Scripture, really core person here. He's one of the most recognizable, most popular names in all of Scripture, and this was his job. He tended sheep. That's what he did. And he was good at it. He had all these brothers. He had a big, large family. And so he was kind of on the lower end of that spectrum uh, because, you know, all the older uh, people get the good jobs. And so the younger siblings get uh, the lousy jobs, right? And so he tended sheep, but he was good at it. And you say, Tom, how do you know he was good at it? I'll tell you how I know. Because if you read the Bible, we see that he was somebody who really cared about the sheep he was tending to, and he actually killed a bear and a lion. That's pretty good shepherd, I would say. Um, And that's how we are introduced to David in Scripture. And then, as you may know, if if you know anything about the Bible, you know, there he progresses on his life. And, and so there was one day where he leaves. His dad asks him to leave his job and go check on his brothers. See, his brothers were soldiers. They were warriors. And it just so happened that this uh, country, their country was at war now with this other country named Philistia. And these people, the Philistines, they were just built different. They were. And this is where we see now the story of David and Goliath. And so now Goliath, you could look and you could study and there's different people who have different suggestions. But here's what we know about Goliath. He was minimum, minimally six foot seven inches tall. Big, huge, monstrous, muscles, MMA, take you out. But some conservative scholars would say he was as tall as nine feet And he wasn't the only one, by the way, that was that size and stature. They had a bunch of warriors that towered over people. And to be honest, they were scared. I would be too. 
And so uh, Dave's father told him to go visit your brothers, check out them, see how they're doing. So David walks up and he figures out, hey, there's kind of a stalemate. There's nothing going on because, see, the Israelites were scared. These people over here are taunting. And so they didn't know what was going to happen. And David, who had more courage in his pinky finger than the entire army combined, says, that's what you're worried about? I got this. I'll skip some parts in the story. He takes out his trusty uh, shepherd's tool, which was the slingshot, <laughs> kills Goliath dead, chops off his head, and the Israelites go on to victory. So, uh, this is really interesting what happens. People look at David as the hero. Of course he is. Why not? The problem is this. The king, King Saul, the first king of Israel at the time, he realized people liked David more than him. Like he was getting his whole, uh, the attention that should have been, you know, on the king, he started getting jealous. And so I think Saul had kind of the idea, he goes, you know, you keep your enemies as close to you as you possibly can. So what does he say to David? He says, hey, come on, I have a spot for you here in the palace. I want you to be my personal musician. And so you don't say no to the king. So that's what David did. So David goes, he goes into the palace. He lives there as Saul's personal musician. By the way, he becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. So at Saul's beck and call, when he was down, when he was depressed, anxious, angry, all of that stuff, he comes in, he gets the finest musician that he knew. David was a talented dude, wasn't he? I'll tell you, I'm impressed by that guy. And so here we have this thing. Remember what I said, David was the king, was promised to be the king. He started out as the shepherd. He moves on to be the warrior. Then he moves on to be the musician. I mean, when's this king thing gonna happen? Well, there were times, interestingly enough, in this story that David had his shot because he knew that he was supposed to be king. The prophet of God told him so. There were times where he had the opportunity to take Saul out. He didn't. And in the middle of all this, he writes Psalm 25, verse four and five. I do not have it on the screen, but it says this. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. And I find it remarkable that he had this plan. He thought he was supposed to be the shepherd. Then he thought he was supposed to be the king. He turns out to be a warrior. He turns out to be the musician at the king's beck and call. What is going on? And he writes words like we just see here in Psalms. And by the way, side note here, I, you know, I think it would be really interesting. Don't you ever wish you could just sit down and talk to some of these like Bible characters, these Bible greats? Like what was going on? How are you feeling? What was going on? How are you making sense of things at that time? I mean, I do. I wish I could just sit down and listen uh, to their wisdom. And, and here's, my, here's my side note. I want to talk really quick, college age, teenagers, young 20s in this room. If you want to win in your journey, we're talking about the journey. If you want to be wise in your journey, you have to take the time to sit and listen to the older, wiser people in your life. 
Hear me really loud and clear on that. Teenagers, college age, young 20s, just starting your family. Make sure you have older, wise people in your life that you're listening to. They're gonna give you the best advice uh, that you can give and you don't talk back, just listen. Just listen to what they have to say. Parents, grandparents, coaches, youth leaders, teachers, whatever it might be. Older people in this room. I'm not defining that age, just I will say older people. (laughs) I really hope, I really hope that you are making a habit of talking to and getting around and being in circles with younger people. I really do. What they need most from you is a caring heart, a humble heart, a gentle heart, gentle nudges, words of wisdom, a non-judgmental spirit. And I think for far too long, people in the church have neglected this. We've kind of maybe looked down at younger generations. And we don't do it intentionally. We just don't connect, right? We just don't think we have anything to offer. They just don't like the same things as you do. But guess what? God has a plan for them as well. And I do not want, the last thing I ever want for Hope Church is for the spirit of millennials and spirit of Gen Z to be crushed. We are not gonna be that church. Well, lucky for us, we do get to see a little bit of David's heart and David's wisdom in the journey that we are all on. We're all on a journey. And what are we supposed to take away? How are we supposed to live throughout this journey? David says in Psalm chapter 37, verse 25, he says, once I was young and now I'm old. And so here we have Psalm chapter 37. He's acknowledging, he goes, I once was young And now I am old. By the way, the whole king thing came to pass. He became king. He was a great king. He definitely had his problems as king too, but you'll have to read the Bible for yourself to figure that out. But this is what he goes on to say when he goes, now that I'm older, here's what I've learned. Check this verses out. It's gonna be here. You can follow along on your notes online as well. Psalm 37, verses three through five, and then verse seven, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Be still in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for him to act. And for the few minutes that we have left here, I just want to look at that verse, those verses and see what we could pull for them from our lives. The first thing I noticed, and it's not even in my notes, I was... I was I picked this up yesterday as I was reviewing for today. I'm very struck by each phrase. He says, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. In other words, he was already at a place where he was acknowledging Jesus God as his Lord and master. He was acknowledging something deeper here already. He was saying, I am not in control. There's something else bigger than me, greater than me, wiser than me, more knowledgeable than me, has the right answers. I'm gonna acknowledge him. You're gonna lead my life. That's what Lord means. But here are the other things that I find in this passage. It's four words. It's trust, commit, wait, and act. That's our lesson for today. It's trust, commit, Wait and act. Everybody say it with me. Trust, commit, wait, act. I'm sorry if you find that awkward. Again, I'm just trying to engage us. Some people hate that. 
So let me fulfill my dream for a second and be a little, be a little coach. Ooh, that was bad. The first thing required in any relationship is trust, right? First thing required in any relationship, I don't care what relationship you have, if it's parents and kids, if it's partners, whatever, boss and, and um, under the boss, <laughs> trust. It's the foundation. This is the first commitment and everything else builds on a foundation of trust. So if I were a basketball coach and you were a player with great skills and great potential and you wanted to work with me, the first thing we'd have to agree on is this. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust me that I've had some uh, wisdom and experience here that I could kind of see maybe some of the flaws in your game and we're going to go with that. Now, I understand trust is earned. I, I get that. But sometimes trust is also blind. And we need to have this idea that we're going to build on trust. You have to trust that as your coach, I'm going to have your best interests at heart, the ability to coach you up, make you a better player. I actually had the um, opportunity a few weeks ago to go to um, a basketball tournament of the best high school players in the country. And when I say the best, I'm talking about the best. It's actually uh, a prep school. Um, and these prep schools, this is what happens. And I don't understand it all. So uh, again, but this is um, my perception of what happens. So you have these really, really talented kids actually from all across the world. So you had a lot of international students as well. Uh, and they are the best of the best, the elite of the elite. And what they do, these are the kids that are getting recruited by D1 schools. And so they go to these prep schools for one more year of coaching and training to just really refine their skills and to get into the schools that they want to get into. And so... Um, uh, we uh, have a connection, and we went and we watched these players play. And here's the thing. When you are committing to a school like that, what you're banking on is that you're trusting the coaches and the program to make you the best that you could possibly be in that scenario. And so it's the same thing uh, in our spiritual journey. Here's the things that we need to realize as we go on our journeys together. And this is important. So if you need to write it down, write it down. First of all, we need to understand that we're limited in our capacity to know. We're limited in our capacity to know. Uh, God knows me and he knows me infinitely. And number three, he always has your best interests at heart. Let me say that again. This is kind of like the baseline of when we say, God, I'm gonna trust you. And this is probably what David was saying, or at least we could take what he was implying. Number one, I'm limited in my capacity to know, God, what is best. Number two, I know that you know me and you know me infinitely. And number three, you have my best interests at heart. That's what trust is. And so that famous passage of scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a lot of you might know, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. That's the journey. We're on this path. There's another verse in Jeremiah. He says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop 
producing fruit. By the way, that's the reason why we call our program across the way Roots. It's that verse right there that we want to teach them to grow their roots so deep that even when the hard stuff comes and when the drought comes and when it's scorched above, that root goes deep enough that they could pull from the well. So that's trust. The second thing is commit. The second thing is commit. Once you acknowledge, I'm gonna go back to basketball for a second again. Once you acknowledge that you are limited in this skill and you need help of someone with maybe uh, a little higher IQ of the game or the knowledge to guide you to the next steps, that's a great start, but it's still not enough. The next thing you need to do is commit to the process. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs and Psalms, Both are books of wisdom, by the way. Proverbs is amazing. But it says this, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. This is what you are saying when you say, I'm gonna see this thing to the end. I'm committed to this process. I need outside help. I'm asking for outside help and I'm all in. That's why these basketball players say, I'm committed to this school, and they show the hat finally. This is the one. This is where I'm going. I'm all in. I'm giving myself to you, to the program, to the trust of my other teammates, and we're going to do this together. We're committing ourselves to that. The third thing, wait. Wait. And here's the interesting one of all of these. Sometimes I think we get the idea that the waiting process in the journey is a time of nothing. And sometimes that might be true, but most of the time it's not. The waiting time is important, maybe the most important part. It's when we begin to develop some of the things we need to be doing. It's when we develop some of our greatest skills, our biggest life lessons. We're trying to trust the process. We're committed to this thing. And even though there's no clarity yet on what the next thing is and the next step or the next job or the next whatever, you're doing the things in preparation to be ready for that. You're doing the things you know are required for you to keep moving with forward process on your journey. So this is where, again, my basketball illustration comes into play. I remember when I was in, I think, uh, I forget if it was eighth grade or ninth grade, um, I missed out on the opportunity to become a varsity basketball player, whereas somebody in my, other, my same grade, who I thought I was better with, did make the team, and that bothered me. But here's what I knew. I knew that I had to be better. Just from the outset, I needed to be better. And so this is the kind of process where I come in and I'm going to stay later in practice. I'm going to take 100 free throws while people are hitting the showers. I'm working on the details. I'm committed to being the first one in and the last one out. I would go home and I would shoot all through the night until it was dark and I couldn't see anymore and I would still be shooting. And here in the same way, maybe you have some unclarity. You're not sure what the next step is. You want to trust the process. You're committed to what God wants to do in your life. But now it's this waiting game. And I know some of you feel like you're in that right now. I know because I've talked to you. I'm just not sure what to do. I'm not sure if I should step out. I'm not sure what that's going to look like for me. And here's what I would say. Keep honing what you know you're supposed to be doing in the process. Keep working on that. Here's the best thing you can do. Pray. 
And by the way, prayer is not just talking to God. It's also listening to God. It's a two-way street. And just be prepared. Be prepared to act. That, see, that was me. I, I, you know, when I, was, when I tell you about all these things, this progress in my journey and where I was going, I just needed to be open. I was in that six-month waiting period. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure where I was supposed to go next. But here's what I did know. I knew I was supposed to help people somehow. I knew what I loved. I knew what I was not good at. Those are the things. You need this, this journey of self-discovery for you. But just be committed to those things and be seeking God. And finally, last thing is act. Trust, commit, wait, and act. And in our spiritual journeys, wherever we are on our journey, this is the culmination of the waiting. It's when we realize this truth. It's when we realize this truth. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Sometimes, I'm gonna say this, sometimes I'm not sure, I think we get hung up on exactly the right thing, the perfect thing that we have to do while we're missing out on some of the most basic things. God will give it to you when you can handle it. God will give it to you in the right timing. Sometimes you have to wait, but you're going to be ready to act. And whatever you do, even if it's being dollar bill man, I got to do it all for the glory of God. I got to do it all for the glory of God. Whatever we do, wherever you find yourself right now in the process of your life, all for the glory of God. Are you stocking shelves? Do it all for the glory of God. Are you cleaning up after other people's messes? Do it all for the glory of God. Are you in the cubicle that you can't stand and you want to break free from it? Do it all for the glory of God. Trust him. Commit. Wait. And act. Proverbs 16, 9. Again, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's our journey our steps, our path. And here's the interesting thing about that word determines. Determines, and we don't always get the right, um, you know, parallel uh, uh, wording. We might use it a little bit differently than it was written. And it means to make parallel, actually. That's what that word determine means. To straighten out, to make uh, perpendicular. To establish, it could be said, to establish a linear direction. Carrie said this a couple weeks ago. Our journeys are not just going to be from A to Z linear. There's ups, there's downs, there's twists, there's turns. We experience the bumpy road, the smooth road, the steep road, the hill down. But here's the thing. When it says God determines your step, he says, you know, when you, tr- you commit and you trust and you wait and you act, he makes it straight. Right to where you're supposed to be going right to where you're supposed to be going, to lead you right to what you're supposed to be doing. And here's what I'll say for me. I don't know if I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. I don't know if I'll be here for one more year or two more years or five more years or 10 more years. But whatever it is, I know the Lord cares. Listen to this verse. I'm gonna end with this. It says, 
Psalm 37, that same passage where David says, I'm old, now I'm not young as I was, I've learned some things, so you need to trust and commit and wait and act. This is how he finishes, he heals. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He, I love, this is the part I like. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. In your journey, the Lord is with you. He is for you. He wants the best for you. And so here's my main takeaway. God's way probably looks different than yours. Trust him. Probably looks different than yours does. My way looked very different from what I thought. But I gotta trust him. He's taking all the things He's ordering them. He's making them straight according to his perfect plan as Lord of your life. And he's using everything about you, your personality, your experiences, all the lessons you're learning along the way. And he's faithful. That's why I love the songs. He's faithful. And some of the older people in this room could look back and say, he's been faithful. He's been faithful. I'm still playing basketball these days. I mean, it's an immense league in East Hampton. But that's okay. The connections I've been able to make there have been amazing. The connections I've been able to make here, amazing. The same is true for you. Just commit and trust and wait and act. Let's pray. God, you are good and you're faithful and you're true and we just need to be better at placing it in your hands. And so I ask for the wisdom and the courage and the ability to be able to do that today, that we can trust you, that we can commit to you, that we'll wait on you and that we'll be prepared to act Give us the wisdom to do so. In Jesus' name.